This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord, isn't it? There is nothing in this world like the presence of God. We know even King David said, in your presence is fullness of joy. And I'm telling you, there's no more joyful place for me on this planet than at church. You know what I mean? I, I find no more joy and no more peace anywhere in this world than I do when I come to my church. And I think everybody should be able to say the same thing. Amen. And, I, you know, as we were talking earlier, too, when she was talking about offering, I just wanted to I'm gonna just remind everybody, like, this isn't, uh, you know, my dad's church. This isn't my mom's church or, or my church or Katie. This is our church. Isn't it? Amen. This doesn't belong to any person. I mean, God set different ones of us to different positions in here. I mean, you know, you may be a nursery worker or on the janitorial team. And, you know, my dad and I may do preaching and stuff like that. But it's all of our church. And it, and we should all take some ownership and be proud and be happy and, and want to see God have his way in here every single week. Amen. Uh, just just a reminder. But if you need an outline for this message this morning, raise your hand and the ushers will give you one. All right. Aren't these guys doing a fine job? Look at these guys. Man, look at that. Best ushers in the whole high desert right here. High desert. Yeah. Amen. And they make it look good, don't they? Look at that. Yeah. Montenegro's got that little bit. He passes it out with a little straw. That's good, man. That's good. All right. So let's go ahead. Um, this morning, we're going to be talking about part four of our series about the son of Jesse. Who knows who the son of Jesse is? Yeah, it's King David out of the Bible, man. And as we know, Acts thirteen twenty two tells us that uh, that David is a man after God's own heart. The Lord said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And as I've said in every lesson so far, that there's nobody else in the Bible that God said that about. You can look at Moses, Abraham, the Apostle Paul, Peter, great guys. And I believe they were men after God's own heart. But there's only one dude in the whole Bible where God actually made sure it was put in there that said, this here is a man after my own heart. That's a pretty big thing. And I can say this, that when I see Jesus, when I finally get to heaven, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I would really love him to say this right here is a man after my own heart. I want to hear that phrase someday. And, 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 you know, and we'll see when we get there. But so far in our in our series, we've looked at some of the high points of David's life. We've seen where he killed the giant. We've seen him take on uh, some lions and bears. We've seen him become crowned the king of Israel. He captured the city of Jerusalem, which is a, a great story to read. But this week, we're going to actually look at one of the low points of David's life. I would say probably the lowest point of his whole life. And some of you know this story, but David, uh, God never said he was a perfect man. He just said he's a man after my own heart. And so that tells me, thank God, I don't have to be completely perfect and never mess up for God to say that I'm a man after his own heart. But the thing is, is that when David screwed up and he did, he sinned on a whole level like that. I was like, whoa, God, you say this is a man after your own heart. This guy was not did some bad, bad things. But the reason that God said that is because when David sinned, he repented. And we're going to look at that. But David, he didn't try to hide it. He fessed up. And I, I know a lot of people, they said, like, well, I did it, but I'll but let me explain why. And they justify their sin. And David didn't do that. He said, I did it. It was wrong. I should have never done it. And I'm never going to do it again. But we're going to get into this today and see how David, in a moment of sin, a moment of weakness and his lowest point, came back out stronger than ever. And that's good news, man. Who's glad that God gives you another chance? We should be happy. Amen. And so let's open in prayer and then we're going to get into point number one here. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus name, we thank you, Lord, uh, that we have a, a church to come and worship with our family. And Lord, we're all brothers and sisters in this house. We're all brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray that as we're gathered here together at the table today, Lord, that you're going to speak the word of God. You're going to feed us the word of God and you're going to change our lives. Lord, you know what each one of us is going through, what we need to hear today to get us through. And I pray in Jesus name, you will get a hold of every single person here. We're grateful for you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus name, everybody said, amen. All right. So number one is this, 
is that David messed up big time. David messed up big time. He did a few, well, several really bad things all in a row. I mean, we're talking monumentally bad things. But let's look here at Second Samuel chapter 11. Second Samuel 11. Thank you for your holy silence. Second Samuel 11. <laughs> Telling you what, man, I, we can find a crowd that's going to get excited. Second Samuel 11. All right. We're going to look here starting at the beginning. Now, this is the story of David and Bathsheba. Who knows the story of David and Bathsheba? All right. So let's check this out. Second um, Samuel 11. Let's start here at verse two. It says this late one afternoon after his midday rest. So David was a nap taker. Nap taking is scriptural. All right. It's in there. But David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. Bathsheba was taking a bath. I always, bath was taking a bath. That's, anyway. And so, uh, he, he sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Oh, that's not good. She's married, he's married. This is wrong on no, every possible level. She had just completed the purification rites after her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Now, David was not excited about this news. David, he did wrong. He, I mean, we all agree, right? That's wrong. There's nobody in here that would say, well, maybe he had a good reason. No way that you look at this situation can you justify what just happened. This was wrong. It was sin on every possible level. Should have never happened. And so she sends, uh, you know, the message to David. Hey, guess what? I'm pregnant. And so David's terrified. He's like, oh, my gosh, what's this going to What's this going to do to me? I'm the king. I'm, you know, he's a, a holy king, a man of God, and has done so many good, right, righteous, holy things for Israel and Judah. He was an awesome, holy king, and he messed up in a really, really big way. And so he's, he comes up with a plan. And a lot of times we send and we're like, well, okay, I could probably get myself out of this one. And so he comes up with this plan. Uriah is a great soldier. I mean, he is a warrior, an awesome fighter in the Israeli army. And so he, he sends uh, Joab, his, his leaders, like, Joab, go bring Uriah in. I just want to chat with him, talk about war, give him a break and stuff. And so Uriah comes in and he's like, you've been fighting hard, man. You deserve a night off. Why don't you just go home and be with your wife and sleep with her tonight, man, you know? And he's trying to set something up here. And Uriah, being an honorable man, a warrior, an awesome, awesome man, he says, you kidding me? All the rest of the army's out there in tents? And you want me to go enjoy a, a, a night with my... I'm not going to do that. The Ark of the Covenant of God is in a tent. God is, is sleeping in a tent out there. And you're telling me to go enjoy a night at home. I would never, I would never do it. And so David's like, oh man, okay. I'm going to have to try even harder. So David turns up the sin a few degrees. And a lot of times when you try to cover for your sin and, and it didn't work, you, you, you turn it up a few more degrees. Okay, if that didn't work, let's, let's try again. So the next night he sends for Uriah again and gets him drunk. So, yeah, he gets him loaded on wine and he's like, and he's thinking, surely I can get him to go home now. And so he's like, yeah, you're right. You've been doing a great job. Go home, spend, spend a night with your wife. You know, you got, you deserve some time. You've been working so hard. And even in the midst of being drunk, which again, wrong every way you look at it, he says, no, I couldn't do that. The rest of the army's out there sleeping in tents. The Ark of the Covenant is out there in a tent. I couldn't go. I couldn't do that. And so he still wouldn't do it anyway. And so David, turns it up another degree and steps into a very bad realm that he should have never gone to in the first place. And so let's look here at, at verse 14. And this is a sad story to read. This is a, this, I mean, it, it's just sad to look at no matter which way you, you, you take it. But look at verse 14 here. It says, so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. 
So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. I mean, this is one of the lowest points that I've, I see in the Bible. He had this man deliver his own hit letter. Wicked, evil, awful. That is, I mean, that just, even reading that just like grieves me on the inside. He said, hey, Uriah, take this to your leader out there. Take this to the captain. I got something. I, and the very letter that he carried was the letter giving orders for him to die. So they get up there to the city wall. We just read it. And they send Uriah. He's a warrior. He, he's ready to go out and fight. And he runs out there. They all pull back and he's by himself. And they kill him off along with a few other Israelite soldiers. Isn't that bad? Isn't, I mean, that, that's sick. And, and David, this holy man of God, he got to this level. And, and here we read in Acts 13.22 where God says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. I don't see how you could recover from something like this. This is, I mean, let's just get real. And, and we've got to know, all right, I, I, and I, I'll just say that, that not all sins are equal. Okay, I hear people say, well, no one sin is greater than the rest. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You, you mean to tell me a child stealing a lollipop is equal to what Saddam Hussein did and committed mass genocide? That's, those are equal sins? You are, you are nuts if you think all sins are, they're not. Some things are worse than other things. Let's get real here. And there, it's just the absolute truth. Committing adultery and then killing the man, that's a lot worse than, than, you know, stealing a candy bar from the store. All sins are not equal. What David did here was an absolute terrible, terrible level of sin to get into. This is a bad spot to be in. And I don't mean to crush anybody's bubble or, you know, hurt anybody's feelings, but let's just get real here. This is some bad news that just happened right here. And so when sin isn't dealt with, it grows. Can I get an amen or at least a groan? Oh, yeah. When, when you don't deal with sin, it just grows and gets worse. It gets worse. And so, David, if he would have just dealt with it right from the beginning and said, all right, I messed up super bad. I should have never even looked at that woman a second time. I shouldn't have. Ne- I never should have done that. But but he, he he didn't deal with it right there. He could have fessed up and, and gone and said, man, listen, you know, I can never repay you. But this happened and he could have somehow dealt with it. But he didn't do that. He took it up another level. He goes out and lies to the man, gets the man drunk. Then he eventually has the man killed. His sin grew into murder because when sin isn't dealt with, it grows and it festers and it gets worse and worse. This is a this is bad news. And so the next thing I say is this is when you let sin grow, you lose your logic. Sin starts to grow. And when and when you continue to let it grow, I've seen brilliant people do incredibly stupid things. Anyone? I mean, you know what? I, we, really, the smartest, most intelligent person, when they let sin grow in their life and continue to live in it, they start to do really dumb, illogical things that anybody would say, man, that was just stupid. I was thinking of this is kind of a, a this is a, one of the crazier stories I've heard. But I remember a few years ago, uh, maybe you saw this on the news, there, there was these astronauts these uh, th- that had gone to space and everything, and uh, th- these two women were competing over the same man. This, this is on the news a few years ago. And anyway, this one lady astronaut got so mad at the other lady, she was driving from Houston to, like, Orlando, and she was, she was like, going to go kill this lady. And because she wanted to get there quick, she wore a diaper the whole way, so she wouldn't have to stop for potty breaks. I'm like... This lady's brilliant. She's a scientist. She's been to outer space. Only a handful of people can say that. But she was so blinded and let her sin grow and grow. She was a married woman. And she, I mean, that's so stupid. Anybody looks at that story and they're like, man, she is like local. She's crazy. Why would you do that? But but when you're sinning, man, you're not thinking straight. You're not in your right mind. You lose all logic and rationale and you do really dumb things. I think about this politician. You know, we won't mention names, but for this guy that, you know, enjoyed 
his phone a little too much and texting pictures of himself to teenage girls. I'm like, dude, you've been caught ten times. You're a brilliant man. You've been through law school. You've been, you know, you've got a degree and from the finest college in America and all this stuff. But you continue doing dumb things because even really brilliant people are that doesn't just because you're super intelligent and super smart and very accomplished. That does not mean that you are protected from and, 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 and you have a free pass on sin. It'll make a really smart person really, really stupid. And David, a very smart man, a very honorable, great warrior of a man, he did just, I mean, dumb, dumb things. How could this be? Because when you don't deal with sin, it grows. And when it grows, you lose all logic and you do super illogical, stupid things. And the thing is, is a lot of times you'll hear somebody after it's all over and it's blown up on them, they've been caught, they'll look back and like, what was I thinking? I can't believe that I did that. That's that's crazy. I was I was insane. How did I do that? Well, when it's not dealt with sin, it starts to control not only your actions, but it gets into your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions. And it'll make a really smart, good person do some really dumb, dumb things. And that's what happened to David here. And so they, they, they send a, a war report back to the, back to the city and everything. And they're like, David, it was a bad, bad battle. I mean, uh, several of our men died and one of our best, Uriah the Hittite, he died out there. And look at what David's response was. This is verse 25, like the, 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 just the most blow off generic response you could ever have. I mean, it's not very much like a, a very... Uh, like a politician. Second Samuel 11, verse 25, he says this. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. Now, the, the, the sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Now, fight harder next time and conquer the city. Like, what a blow off, man. Yeah, you win some, you lose some. Man, life happens. Just uh, try harder next time. Go team. Like, man, David knew what was going to happen. He wasn't surprised to hear the war report. He knew that was going to happen because he made it happen. And he's like, well, tough luck, guys. Better luck next time. You know, you win some, you lose some. And he's just blowing these guys off. So now David is it's it's getting worse and worse and worse. And that's what happens with sin. The more that we let it become a part of our lives, it starts to screw you up all over the place. And it eventually it will lead to death in your life. Sin will kill people physically spiritually, emotionally, it'll absolutely trash you if you keep playing with it. And I read this one time, that one way that they used to catch wolves back in Alaska is they would dip a sharp knife in the blood of some animal, then they would put it handle down into the snow where the blade was sticking up. A wolf would come along and smell the blood, just start licking the blade, licking the blade, licking the blade, trying to get more of that blood. And after a while, what he was licking was his own blood. But because he loved that taste so much, because he he wanted more and more of this thing, he was licking it. And eventually he would he would kill himself because his desire for that blood was so strong. He didn't realize that he was eventually licking his own blood. And a lot of people that's, I mean, they, they get so caught up in it that they don't realize that, man, they are killing themselves because they can't control uh, this sinful desire. And again, today, we're not, this isn't the condemnation, you know, message today. I mean, if it's hitting close to home, then that's God. That's not me trying to make anybody feel bad. But what I am saying is this, is that David, he messed up in a really big way. But there's good news. Because look at this, number two, is number two, he repented of it. David repented of his sin. And if you sin, which we all do, everybody, I sin, you sin, we sin, we all sin, rah, rah, rah. Oh, no, that's, that's not it. But we all sin, but do we repent of it? And that's why David was still able to be called a man after God's own heart, because David repented of his sin. And so, 2 Samuel 12, let's, let's read a few verses here. And this is when the prophet Nathan comes in. And, and Nathan, he, he lays it out on the line here for David. But check this story out. 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing 
but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And then one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Whoa. It just got real, folks. It just got real. He's saying this to the king. You're that man. And so... Here we go. Let's see. Let's see what David could have done here. There's a lot of different ways he could have gone with this. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why? Why then have you despised the word of the Lord? He said, your sin means you despise the word of God. And you've done this horrible deed. You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites. And you stole his wife. Man, that took some guts right there. A king could kill a prophet. It happened all the time. And he sticks it. He says, you're that man, David. You're the killer. You're the stealer. You're, You're the guy that did it. And he just fully confronts him face to face with this. And again, there's a lot of things David could have done, but I'll say this. There is never one time that David justified his sin. And I know a lot of people that if they're in this spot, they will justify it until they go to the grave. I Hey, I know I shouldn't have done it. God knows I shouldn't have done it. But man, she was super good looking. And I think the Lord... You know, people say dumb stuff like that. Or, you know what, I agree, I shouldn't have hit that guy, but man, he made me mad. Really? Okay, so now just because you're mad, you're allowed to hit people and ignore the word of God. Brilliant. Okay, smart, yeah. Or, I I, I realize I, I shouldn't have gone there and, and drank that stuff, but man, all my friends were doing it. And so, I, you know, I, I think God understands. Listen, quit trying to justify it. I know so many people that say, oh, I admit it was wrong, but I did it because of this. No. When you justify your sin, you're not getting anywhere. That, that, that's not helping you, and that's surely not helping your situation. And I know this much. When we get to heaven and we stand before the Lord, and this will happen, where you'll stand before God and you'll give an account for your life. It's going to happen. Whether you believe it or not, it is going to happen. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that you will, everybody will stand before God someday. And he says, you're going to give an account for your life. And so, do you for real think that you're going to stand and God's going to show you some scene and say, explain this one to me. Oh yeah, totally my bad. But, I hit him because he said this to me. Or, I, I, I stole from him, but he's really rich. I mean, it's not like I stole from a poor person. Listen. Morals are morals. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. It is just as wrong to steal from a billionaire as it is to steal from a poor person. Stealing is wrong. It is never okay. No matter who you steal from, stealing will always be wrong. It is never okay. It is never okay to, to blow up on somebody else and curse them out and, and, and take the Lord's name in vain and, and, and go violent and, and, and go nuclear. I don't see that that's ever going to be justified where God's going to say, well, I get it. He, that, I know how annoying he was, so you get a pass on that one. It's not going to happen. You don't justify your sin. And, and yeah, I mean, sometimes we're in situations where it's super hard and, and, and we don't quite pass the test. I have failed. I have failed many, many thousands and thousands of times, just like every person in this room has. I'm not exempt. You're not exempt. But if we want to be called a man after God's own heart, which is what we're going for here, I'm looking at at David as an example since he's the only one God said that about. And one thing I can say about David is he sinned in a great big way, but never once did he say, well, I think it's justified because of this. He, He owned up to it. And he did not justify it. And so when you justify your sins, you're not really repentant. That means you don't regret doing it. You think it's okay that you did it. 
Again, I know people, I shouldn't have, I mean, hey, I'll be the first to admit that was wrong, but here's why I did it. And, and listen, that's not a repentant heart. That's not, that's not the attitude and the heart of repentance. That's the attitude to say, well, I did it, but I don't regret doing it. I'd do it again if I had the chance. That's not right. And again, we're striving to be a man and a woman after God's own heart. And so I want to give you the Hebrew definition of repent. The Hebrew definition of repent is to regret, to grieve, to back down and revert. And that means change. To regret, to grieve, to back down and revert and go the opposite direction. So David didn't only admit to his sin, but he quit doing it. And he didn't justify it. You know, think of, you know, I heard, I heard one famous preacher a while back say, to repent simply means to change your mind. I'm like, huh? What? Repent simply means to just change your mind? Wrong. No, it means a lot more. That would be the first step. Yes, to definitely change your heart and mind and say, well, that's wrong. But it's a lot more than that. Repent means that you stop doing it and you turn and go the opposite way. When you came to Jesus and asked him into your life, did you repent? Anyone? This isn't a trick. Okay, we got a few. All right. You repented, some of you. And, and when you came to Jesus, and, and did you continue just going full force for the devil? Or was there a turnaround? Where, I mean, maybe it took a while to drop some of the habits off. I get that. I mean, maybe still we're dropping some of the things that, that, that were holding us back. But when you repented of your sins and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, was there some point where you turned around and started going the opposite direction of where you had been going? Yes. So repent doesn't just mean oh, I changed my mind. I guess it's not cool to steal anymore. I changed my mind on that. No, it means not only did you change your mind, you changed your heart and you quit doing it. You reverted. You repented. You turned around and went the opposite direction. That's what repentance means. So let me ask you this. If you came up here and you were standing in front of me, and I said, slapped you across the face. I'm sorry. I repent. You're like, oh, OK, cool. And you're standing there and I do it again. I'm sorry. I repent. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I changed my mind. I do. After a while, if you had any sense, you would start to think, I don't I don't want to judge, but I think maybe he doesn't really mean it. I don't think he's really repentant. I don't think that he's really changed his ways because he keeps saying that, but he keeps doing it to me. And you know what I mean? If you had any sense, you'd step back or, or go away. But but I mean, after a while, I would begin to question if you had really, truly repented. Because you just kept doing it to me over and over again. And here's the deal. David repented. He didn't commit adultery anymore. And he didn't murder anymore. And of course, he was a man of war. And so part of war is there were people that David probably had to kill in battle. But killing and murdering are not the same thing. We're not going to go into that. But murdering somebody is different than being at war and killing someone. Not the same thing. And so David, he repented. And he never did this again. He was truly sorrowful for what he had done. And so I want you to look at Psalm 51. Now, if most of your Bibles will have a little header over Psalm 51, and it tells you that this psalm was written uh, after the time that Nathan the prophet rebuked David for committing adultery and, and murder. And does any of, you, any of your Bibles have a little thing for Psalm 51 that tells you that? Okay. So Psalm 51 and this whole chapter, it's, it's, it's a good chapter to read, especially if you're in a time of repentance and, and, and godly sorrow. This is Psalm 51 will get you, but, but I want to look down at verses 16 and 17. Because David at this point, he's saying, anything I can do to make it better? Is there anything I can, any way I can repay this? Is there any way? And a lot of times when we come to a place of repentance, we start looking at how, how, how can I make it right? What can I do? Uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll sweep the church, you know, a thousand times. I'll go out and I'll, I'll clean the, the tumbleweeds. I'll, I'll, a thousand times. I'll, I'll go anything. I'll, I'll work the nursery for the next 52 Sunday. I'll do anything I can do. And, and listen, that, that's, turns out that's not what God's looking for. Look at Psalm 51, verse 16. David said, you do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer one saying basically, you don't you're not desiring an, an offering or I'd give one. I'd give all the money. I'd give all the sheep that I have to make this right. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and 
repentant heart, O God. And so David came to this place as he's repenting. He's like, man, I'd give you everything I owned if I could make this right. But that's not what you want. You want a broken spirit and you want a repentant heart, O God. And for all of us, we're, look, we're learning out, out of David's story here. We don't want to have to you know, go through this ourselves. This is, this is out of David's story, what he learned. He's saying, what you're looking for is a repentant heart. And that's what David had in the end. David had a repentant heart where he said, I'm changing. I'm not doing this anymore. And, and, and he tried everything he could do to make this situation right. And, and, you know, one of my favorite things, one of the amazing things about God is his ability to forgive and forget. Can we get an amen on that? Who's glad that God forgives? Oh, my gosh. Thank you, Jesus, that you forgive and he forgets. You know, in Isaiah, he says, I, even I, will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never remember them again. And so if you've truly repented of something, and then it keeps coming back to you, yeah, but I did this, but I did it. I can tell you one thing. That's not God reminding you. That's not God bringing it up, because God forgot it ever even happened. If you come to God and, and you've truly repented, and you say, God, remember that time I did this? He's going to say, no, what are you talking about? I don't remember that. Why? Because he promised in his word that when he forgives, he says, I will blot out your sins, your transgressions, and I'll never remember them again. Now, if God brings it up to you again, then he's a liar because he said he wasn't even going to remember it. And so it's coming back to you. And again, I'm talking about you truly repented. You didn't just say, oh, sorry, I got caught. You shouldn't have done that. That's not repentance. Repentance is acknowledging it. Changing your heart, changing your mind, and going the opposite direction. Yes, sometimes we still stumble. Yes, sometimes we still make mistakes, but God knows your heart. And, and David said in Psalm 51 that God wants a repentant heart. Okay? That doesn't mean you're perfect. We get that. But that means in your heart, man, you're trying. In your heart, you're trying your best for God, and God knows the difference. And so, if we have a repentant heart, and if we uh, we meant it and we're and we're dealing with this situation and it and it keeps coming back to our memory listen that is not god bringing it to you do you know who's bringing it to you the devil the accuser of the brethren and he will come in and bring things up and accuse you and remind you and may try to thumb you down and make you i i just i don't think god's answering my prayers i i i honestly don't because i remember Back in the day, before I came to the Lord, I used to do this, and I think that's what's catching up to me right now. It's finally come around to get me. Listen, no, it's not. It's not that because God doesn't remember that. You hear me? God doesn't remember it. When he forgives, he forgets. And David said in Psalm 51, purify me, wash me as white as snow. He said that, wash me, cleanse me, give me a clean slate. And God says, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it because he desires a repentant heart. And he knows when he sees one. Because we've got to know this. You cannot fool God. Nobody in this world can fool God. He knows when someone means it. He knows when they don't. And if you mean it, when you come to him, absolutely, he forgives you. And what does it tell us that he is? First John 1, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? Yeah, that's good news right there, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is super good news that God is not holding your past against you. God is not holding your wrongdoings against you. That is really good news today that we don't have to worry if we've confessed it, if we've forsaken it, if we've repented it to God. Listen, we can leave it in the past and not let that hold us down anymore. You don't have to be tied to the mistakes and the sins of the past. Jesus came and cut the cord right there and said, it's finished, it's done, it's gone, it's over with. Never think of it again. Never bring it up again because I'm not going to. That's forgiveness. And a lot of times where we stumble is, is we don't get that. We don't fully comprehend the love and the forgiveness of God as, as, as much as we try because it's not in our nature. Our nature, which we've got to overcome, our nature says, I'll forgive, but I will never forget what you did to me. 
I'll remember it to the day that I die, man. I'll, I'll remember. I, but I forgive you. I forgive you. But I'll, I'm not going to forget it. And that's our human nature. And Jesus came and brought this mind-blowing new teaching when he told it. One day Peter comes up and says, Lord, question. How many times should I forgive someone that sins against me? Seven times. And he's thinking, you know, Jesus is going to say, good boy, Peter. Yeah, good job. Seven. That's that's very admirable, Peter. And Peter says, or Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times, 70 times seven, Peter. And and the disciples are like, what? You kidding me? Someone has sinned against me nearly 500 times and I've got to keep forgiving them. And we all know that Jesus wasn't putting the cap at 490. He was just, his point was keep forgiving, Peter. And then Jesus comes with this new teaching and says, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If, if someone does this, you do it back to them. You've got to be even. He says, but I say, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone says, carry my stuff for a mile, carry it two miles. Listen to me. If someone demands your coat, give them your shirt too. And I can just see the disciples and all these Jewish people like, I can't take this. What are you talking about? Because they never heard anything like this. And, you know, we've grown up hearing these, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Well, the old way was do unto others before they do unto you. Get them before they get you. If they hit you, hit twice as hard. I mean, that was that was the law. That was the fair way of doing it. An eye for an eye. And then Jesus comes to these Jewish people and says, no, no. If someone slaps you on one cheek, I do not want you to even hit them back. I want you to turn the other cheek, too. If someone says, carry my stuff for one mile, I don't want you to get mad at them and hit them. I want you to carry it two miles. And this is, I mean, this is basic, fundamental New Testament Christianity where we don't seek revenge. And that goes against everything that's in our nature because by nature we seek revenge. We seek to make things even. We seek to make things justice in our own way. But Jesus says, no. I know Moses said to do that. But I've come with a new teaching, and I'm telling you right now, no more of an eye for an eye. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And the second thing is, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two New Testament commandments. The Ten Commandments are great and admirable, but honestly, as a New Testament Christian, we don't need the the Ten Commandments because Jesus gave us two. Love God and love people. If you love God, you're not going to have any other gods before him, are you? You're going to respect the Sabbath day. You're going to keep it whole. You're going to come to church on Sunday if you love God. That's This is basic stuff. And then the second thing is love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, you're not going to steal from someone if you love them, are you? You're not going to take their wife. You're not going to, you're not going to covet their possessions. You're not going to kill them if you love them, are you? No. And so Jesus said everything that was taught in the Law and the Prophets can be summed up in these two commands. Love God. And love people. And again, for the disciples and for all the Jewish people, this was a, an earth-shaking, I mean, absolutely mind-blowing new new teaching. But even to this day, even though we've heard it our whole lives, we somehow still don't fully get it. Love God. Love people. Don't seek to get revenge. When you seek revenge, you are setting yourself up for all sorts of trouble. And I can promise you, you're going to do some super stupid things. If you're a person that seeks revenge, when someone says bad, something bad about you, don't even go online and post it to the online community. But, 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 you know, but I'm not going to mention the names. I'm just going to say it so everybody will see it. But everyone knows what I'm really talking about. Amen. Anyone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't do that. That's dumb. That's stupid. You look like a fool when you do stuff like that. And listen to me. That's not what God wants you to do. He says, just let it go. Just let it go. He says, when bless those who persecute you. Do you know what bless means in that, that, he, that Greek word? The word bless right there means speak well of. Those who persecute speak bad of you. Doesn't that go against, when someone says something bad about you, is it in your nature to say, all right, let me think of the nicest thing I can say about this guy right now. Okay, you've got a great haircut, man. Look, you know, no, no, when someone says something mean, our nature wants to say something doubly mean and then go online and trash them online too. But listen, no. That's not the Christian way. That's not the, that's not how Christians handle their business. Jesus, and I mean, you're thinking, well, this is going to make me a pushover. Well, 
I'd rather be called a pushover than get to heaven and Jesus say, what were you thinking? I'd rather be called a pushover here on earth. I'd rather be called weak here on earth than face whatever's next. I don't know. I, I just want to obey the word of God. And if that makes people think that I'm weak, fine. I, I can I can handle that. I can handle being called weak. I can deal with being called a pushover. I mean, I've, I've been called these things. That's fine. I'm cool with that. I can handle that. But I'm not going to be called a sinner. I'm not going to be called a gossip. I'm not going to be called a rage-filled person and someone that seeks revenge. I'm not going to be called those things. I'm going to be called, I want to be called David, a man after God's own heart. And if I'm seeking revenge all the time, worrying about how I can get justice, it's not going to happen, man. Not going to happen. And so I encourage us, if that is your way, if your way is the way of, of, of making it right, and you're, don't do it anymore. Be better than that. That's not how a Christian lives. A Christian forgives, forgets. A Christian turns the other cheek, goes the extra mile. That's what Jesus said to do. And if you'd like to go back and live under the old covenant law, then by all means do it. But it's super hard to keep. Have fun sacrificing those goats and sheep every time you sin. Some of you get Let's get real. If you want the... All right. Amen? You don't want to do that. So number three, God restored David. Because, because of number two, David repented, and then God gave him this beautiful gift of restoration. The gift of restoration is one of the best gifts that can be given out. So David was repenting. He did the honorable thing. He, he, he went and he married Bathsheba. That was the honorable thing at that time. And the child they conceived, the child didn't make it. The child died. And David had a hard time with that. But God gave them a, a second son. Does anybody know who the second son born of Bathsheba was? Solomon, the wisest man, according to the Bible, that this earth has ever seen, was born out of this. Out, out of the out of uh, the restoration, not out of the, out of the restoration process that God gave to David. And so I've said it a thousand times, but I thank God for second chances. I'm so thankful that even when we mess up big time, he's willing to give us another shot when nobody else would. Wouldn't it stink if you had to have your entire life evaluated off of one bad season? Because we've all had bad seasons. Am I the only one? Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad. You just kind of had a bad season where for a while there you did some stupid things that you shouldn't have done. We've done that. But I, I thank God that he doesn't evaluate us and say, well, he did his whole life is this, his, his entire life. He's a liar. It's his whole life, man. He is, that is who defines him, who he is. No, he gives us second chances. Thank God for that. And, and, and I want to say this is that failure isn't final. Because God gives us second chances, because he's a God of restoration, failure isn't final. Now, I know this whole situation, this was a setback for David, no doubt about it. This cost him big. It cost, I mean, you can read some more of 2 Samuel. When, when, his, when his son died, he, that tore David up. He wouldn't eat. He wouldn't sleep. He went into depression. It tore him up, man. It messed him up for a while. David paid the price for this situation in a lot of bad ways. But thank God that God restored him and failure wasn't final. He didn't just give up the whole kingdom and say, I'm not fit to be king anymore. This is it. I give up. No, no. God restored him. And so I want you to look at Psalm 51, verse 12. Psalm 51, verse 12. And so David, I, I, I encourage you to read the entire chapter, but, but this verse, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Notice he uses this word restore. Now, do you think when something's restored, it means that it was in one time in really good shape? Okay, we see all these these shows on TV all the time about they do these restoration projects. They take an old crummy house. They restore it into being something great. And so you saw some of that was, uh, you know, at one time just a, a dilapidated old mess. And they turn it into like this beautiful home. They restored it into something great. And so David's saying, restore to me my joy. At one time, David was a very joyful person. He was a very peaceful person. When you do something like this, 
you're going to lose your joy. I mean, you God didn't take it. You you forfeited it. You gave it away for a while. But David's saying, restore that. Give me the joy back that I once had. Restore the salvation to me. Give me, you know, you created me a clean heart, oh God. And he's saying, restore, bring it back. And I know a lot of people that have been restored in their life. He'll restore your, your health to you. Amen? He'll restore your family to you when you lost it. Anybody? He'll restore the joy of your salvation back to you. When you decided at a low point to just give it away and throw it away to the devil, he'll say, no, we're going to give it back to you. We're going to build this back up and make something great. And after a while, you see this life that this was this nasty, torn down wreck of a life. And a few years later, you see this beautiful masterpiece of restoration. Uh, and when God restores, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think of so many of the lives in this room that at one point were just a tore down mess. And God rose it up and built it into a masterpiece. Because God is a God of restoration. And God is a God that restores. And so in David's darkest hour, he didn't just say, God, forgive me. He says, God, restore me. And God restored David to the place that he had once been. And so... I want to flip down to the last thing I want to look at today is in Luke chapter 15. And and as you turn to Luke 15, you know, I think about the grace of God and we don't all fully always appreciate or understand the grace of God. That's a that's a deep topic to tackle, honestly, the grace of God, because the Bible discusses several different types of grace. There's a grace for serving. There's a grace for salvation. There's a grace for so many. There's so there's a lot of graces that the Bible mentions. But when we're talking about the grace of salvation and restoration, the most simple way we can put it is this is grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Anybody in here feel like you deserve heaven? I don't feel like I deserve heaven, honestly, <laughs> but I know that I'm going there. Why? Because of the grace of God. And you're in Luke 15, but Ephesians 2 tells us that salvation is the gift from God. It's, it's not of works. Nobody earned salvation. Nobody, nobody can work hard enough to get salvation because it's a free gift. It's the gift of God. And it says, so not of works lest any man should boast or, or nobody can brag about their stuff. Hey, I'm saved. <laughs> Look at me. Look at, hey, and, and brag about, you can't brag about it because you didn't do anything to deserve it. No matter how good you are, you don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve heaven. David didn't deserve heaven. But grace through faith receives salvation. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But this, this story uh, that I'm going to look at here is the story of the prodigal son. And we're probably familiar with this story, but here we have a young man that really bad needs some restoration. He comes from a good family, great family, wealthy family. And you know the story, but I'll catch you up here. That one day he comes to dad and says, hey, dad, can you give me my cut of the inheritance now? I, I Honestly, I don't want to wait for you to die. I, want, I just want to have it now. And so his dad says, all right, I'll give you your cut now. And so does he go out and do holy things with it? No, he goes out and does wicked. He parties, he gets drunk, he buys booze for all these people and just turns into a wreck, does some dumb, dumb things. And of course, when his money ran out, all his friends ran out because they weren't really friends. They just wanted him for his money. And so he comes to the lowest point that he could possibly be. And you know the story. He's working feeding pigs. And for us, we're like, oh, pigs, those are kind of gross. To a Jewish person saying that you feed pigs, that you touch pigs, there is nothing lower in this world to a true Hebrew person than mingling with pigs. And he got so low that he says, man, that pig food looks really good right now. These pigs are eating better than me. And so that is official. There's no lower place in this world for a Jewish person to go than to be lower than a pig. And so Jesus is telling this story and all these people are, you know, list, got, oh, my God. Oh, no, never. Oh, gosh, there's no way you could rise from that. There's that's the lowest point you could get. And Jesus is telling this story about this runaway prodigal son. 
So the boy says, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm not, I don't, hey, I know that I'm not going to be a son. That ship has sailed. I've ruined that. I'm not going to ask to be accepted as a son again. I'm going to see if he'll let me be maybe a slave and just work on the property so I at least have some food and a place to eat. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to beg to be a slave, but I'm not going to ask to be a son because it's way too late for that. I've ruined that. A lot of people, man, you know, you're here and you're thinking, I, I know I've, I've, I've done too, I've ruined it. I don't think God's going to hear my prayers. Maybe he'll receive me and I can get into heaven, but I know that I've, uh, it's going to be a rough road to get there. But look at this. Look at this story of grace. Look at this story of restoration. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 20. And so he says he's going to go home. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And so he's broken, man. He's low. And he says, listen, I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. But isn't it interesting that he didn't even have to go and knock on the door? His dad was standing right there expecting him to come back. His dad was looking for him. And then his dad wasn't even mad at him. He hugs him. He kisses him. I mean, this is the ultimate example of what God does for us. We sin. We screw up. We run off. And then we come back saying, oh, I don't think he'll take me back, but I'm going to try. And the whole time God's standing right there waiting on you. And he's not mad. He picks you up. He kisses you. He, 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 he pats you on the back. And let's read the rest of this here. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began and a celebration ensued. And Jesus later on in the scripture says, there's more joy in heaven when one lost sheep returns home than the 99 who had never strayed. And it says there's a party in heaven whenever somebody returns home. And this is the example of that. And so David, he made his way home. He repented, but even more important, he was restored. God gave him the kingdoms of Israel and Judah back. And for us, we've got to realize that, yeah, David messed up. And yes, we've messed up. But failure isn't final. David repented. David turned around. God restored him. And he finished out with a strong kingdom. More trouble came to him, but it wasn't because he sinned. And we'll, we'll look at that in the next few weeks. More troubles and hardships came, but it wasn't because he brought them upon himself. David never did this again. And God eventually wrote in Acts 13:22, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. If David can recover from that, you can recover from what you've been through. That's good news today. I don't know why no one's excited right now. That's good news that you can recover, that you can rise from the ashes and get another chance. No matter how bad it was, there is forgiveness of sins. There is restoration of brokenness. And God will put you back on the right path when we cry out to him with a repentant heart. Amen. And so David was found to be a man after God's own heart because David was a man of repentance. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org. 